Grace has a sick, twisted fascination okay. with okay. with sick, m- twisted with multi-level marketing schemes. Slug. Hello, slug. <laughs> Hello. Oh, he's coming back. He doesn't know if he wants to be on this episode or not. Yeah, our little slug named Bean. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Lizzie. And I'm Grace. You're just Grace? Oh, shoot. I am I am the band Switchfoot. <laughs> the sweet, sweet band Switchfoot, who, if you've been following along, we're recording this the day after... John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot, a beloved band of mine from growing up, Christian band, if you didn't know, responded to a brief video series that I did on TikTok about trying to find out if they were LGBTQ plus affirming by yelling gay rights at their sh- at their show in Los Angeles. And we did get a response. Well, he made a video he made addressed a video to you. A- addressed to me. And... Honestly, I, I'm going to film my own response to his response, basically having a FaceTime with John Foreman over TikTok, I suppose, uh, <laughs> later today. I, I'm still kind of processing everything. But as far as I can tell, it was a message of affirmation I that agree. Switchfoot is LGBTQ plus affirming. I agree. Without literally saying, hey, Grace, gay rights, I'm LGBTQ plus affirming, and this episode of my TikTok is approved by the entire band of Switchfoot. The message was that of affirmation. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, I feel like we've been very scattered in this conversation because we're both like... Because of being... It's all happening in real time and because there's a little flappy, floppy chihuahua right here. But um, it was a very interesting series of events over the last couple of days. Very interesting. And you can catch up on our TikTok if you're interested. I guess we'll look that... We'll lick that. We'll lick, link that in the show notes <laughs> okay and well, by if, the yeah by the time this goes up your response will be up too yeah so, so stay tuned for that i'll link it i'll link the whole story if you're curious mm-hmm. to watch it um but that yeah that was one of the things on my list that i wanted to like cover today oh mm-hmm. here comes bean again oh bean wow he really wants to be on this no 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 not <laughs> on the computer beanie <laughs> the thing with oh my gosh i wish that we had an image of what is occurring bean is just staring sitting in lizzie's lap just staring directly at her in the face okay now he's getting settled he's not always like this but he's been very affectionate this morning yeah he's a little sugar plum so we wanted to use this episode for a few things Mm -hmm. later on in the episode kind of the meat and potatoes is going to be that i wanted to talk about creativity and meat and potatoes and meat and potatoes and how we create them um and anyway i want to talk about creativity and um a bit about our respective very different creative processes and my both of our advice on getting creative juices flowing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to make that like too long and dull because that's the opposite of what creativity should be. Mm -hmm. So I also just wanted to catch up. And one of the things was about the Switchfoot saga. But yeah, well, if I can expand a little bit more on why I you may have noticed, perhaps you've recognized that there's that there's something I'm passionate about, which is Christians clarifying their position on LGBTQ plus inclusion and affirmation. It is something I think is really important because I am so sick and tired of the all are welcome bait and switch 
that so many queer people have to experience of thinking that they are accepted wholly for who they are and then finding out otherwise and getting their heart broken. And I, I, I think that clarity is kind and I think that clarity is reasonable. And a lot of Christians in positions of power who have um, been leaders even if they didn't ask for that, I don't think that Sweet Sweet John Foreman from Switchfoot asked to be a leader, but that's the position that he's found himself in with the success of the band, have been kind of able to coast with vague responses to our questions. And I'm I'm ready for that for us to move on from that. Like let's let's start a new chapter. And I just think we can normalize normalize Christians supporting gay rights, you know, because you don't know what's available to you and what's out there until you have people who have platforms speaking up and saying the right thing. There's nothing loving about being vague about what you support, especially with regards to social justice and the rights of those who have been marginalized or disenfranchised. That is not a Christian value to me. We need to offer invitations and opportunities for Christians to speak up and say what they mean and mean what they say, understanding that that could lose them some fans. But if it's at the expense of human rights, hopefully that's a price that they're that they're open to considering. I think in the world of Christian spaces, what is really frustrating is when people of a certain group, mm-hmm. wide group, namely like evangelicals, I guess, are they act like they have a monopoly on like a whole faith and that their interpretation of everything is like the only one and that anybody else that has like other views are just openly like not practicing the faith the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's one thing to say like yeah, we have differences of faith and what we believe and how we read certain things and it's another to say like my way is the only way so you must be just openly like not really in it or not really believe the same things as me do you know what i mean yeah well i think that there's been this almost unspoken thing being a christian is this polite form of bigotry of like well i'm a christian i'm a jesus follower so wink wink nudge nudge you know what that means and i'm ready to model something different and for christian leaders who agree to model something different and i think we're kind of seeing this this moment and this urgency for change within christian spaces And I think that the lane that I've found myself in is within Christian music of like, we can stand up for something. I don't want, I don't want people coming to my shows wondering where I stand on issues of human rights. You know, like I, I do care that people know where, where I've, you know, where I'm trying to divest from and who I'm standing up for. I want people to know that they're safe at my shows. And I think that that's something I'm, I'm, I feel called to invite other Christian groups to do as well. I like I think it'd be amazing if this door is open and John Foreman or other members of Switchfoot come through and come to like a similar show and be like, hey, you know what? They even had this song called There's a New Way to Be Human. Oh, <laughs> Switchfoot really? had a song called New Way to Be Human being like, come to a similar show. Let me show you a real new way to be human. <laughs> like, hmm. it's just an invitation. It's an opportunity to show uh, what praise and rage can look like and just radical inclusion and acceptance and affirmation of 
of all people, like when we can get specific about that, what that looks like. I, I could tell in his video, again, I'm so thankful for it, that that might be one of the first times he said LGBTQ+. <laughs> yeah, he was, he's kind of sweet. It's like, look, like it's, a, it's like, great, dude. Like, this is a great start. Like, let's keep going, you know? Keep telling people what you stand for. My closing thoughts on this are that I'm just very... I'm going to say this might sound, um, I don't know, like, what's the word? Controversial. No, no, oh. not controversial. This might sound like petty and like teenage eye roll vibes, but mm-hmm. it's what I'm giving right now, which is that like, <laughs> I'm very over the starting point of like Christian means that you are anti-gay. I mean, one of the oldest denominations in the US has been queer affirming for literally decades yeah which is episcopalianism and there's others too that's just the one that grace and i are most familiar with yeah grace's dad is an episcopal priest if you didn't know it's so fascinating to be like well yeah obviously like christianity is anti-gay like it's just something you have to decide if you want to follow or not and it's like that's not true i'm not going to go into the whole thing now and that's Mm -hmm. not because i'm afraid of it or don't want to touch it it's just this isn't what this episode is about and we've already done an episode and there's so many resources out there that we've linked to in previous show notes and things i'm just very over the like well obviously this is what the bible said it's Mm -hmm. like stop it's it's fine that you have a different interpretation i'm not saying there i'm not saying i'm like some sort of scholar that i'm always right but don't don't start from a place of like well there's nothing wrong with me holding this interpretation and i don't even need to say it because it's the, yeah it's, it's the word it's yeah i think it's like time for people who have views that they are not queer affirming to have to say that like and it's fine if you're saying that's because of your religion like i actually don't care if that's a different belief and interpretation that you hold. Mm-hmm. But like, just say it. Don't act like that's a foregone conclusion because you're Christian. Like, that's your brand of Christianity. Yeah, I responded to someone who was commenting on a bunch of our videos about the Switchfoot thing. I just said, I was like, I beseech you to spend half the time that you are spending in the comment section listing Romans 1 as you might just Googling affirming biblical-based theology. Just just a Google, my friend. It's your friend. Right, and Check you don't have out. to believe it. You don't it. have to like, believe you, it. But don't act like you've never heard of such a thing because yeah. it's out there. Yeah, I'm. that's that's really my, my main sort of tactic these days is like, listen, I'm not trying to change your mind, but have you ever listened to one affirming sermon in your life? And they'll be like, well, the, what the response was like, it's not about being affirming. It's about being Bible-based. I'm like, sure, listen to a biblically sound sermon on affirming theology. I recommend it. <laughs> Go nuts. Like the idea that there aren't people like that Reverend Jackie Lewis doesn't like refer to the Bible, <laughs> that you just goes rogue. Like, come on, do just do us the honor, you know, the courtesy of spending a little minimum. bit, the bare minimum of just spending 30 mins researching a different perspective, a new way to be human, if you will. Because we've certainly heard a different perspective from our own. It's yeah. not as if we have our heads in the sand yeah. like, what? No, we've never even considered. Be like Romans 1, stop it. And simply too <laughs> much. Michelle, no. <laughs> Sorry, that's it. That's an under our roof meme. move on to Lula Rich. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. 
sad that we're coming to the end of the Lula Rich experience. I know. I, I thought it was going to be a longer series. Me too. Okay, so to back up, Lula Rich is a documentary series on Amazon Prime. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you probably know that Grace has a sick, twisted fascination. Okay. With, okay. with Sick, m- twisted. With multi-level <laughs> marketing schemes. I, no, 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 no. Listen. I know I know who I'm talking to right now. I know that this is a house guest listening, and I know that you probably relate. Yes, there is something weird, fascinating, and cultish about multi-level marketing schemes. It is an intersection of my interests that maybe, you know, at, is not the healthiest, but so long as it's oddly legal in this country, I'm tuning in. Lula Row. Lula Row. What in the hell? Lula Row. What is that? We are creating confidence and security. I had achieved the dream. I was selling magic leggings. This is a huge opportunity in America. Women were selling breast milk so they could afford startup costs. It had just become a circus. Mark starts spouting off passages from the Book of Mormon. A mass delusion. Oh my God, I'm in a cult. Did any of them have a clue how to run a company of this size? No. What is the real story of LuLaRoe? We want to see women succeed. That's where the business started. There's magic in the air, but most people have not sold anything. There became the push to put off a successful image. Deanne says, I got the weight loss surgery. I can hook you up. What the f***? They wanted them to drink the Kool-Aid. Let's just shower people with events. In 14 months, we experienced $2 billion worth of growth. They're using cheap language of feminism. We were empowered, and then the husband was supposed to take over. What inspired the empowerment of women for you? Can I jump in there and then you can talk? Yeah. 85% of the sixth floor was their family. We show up every day and say what problems need to be solved. The whole house smelled like dead fart leggings. Little did I know this is gonna end up looking like a penis. It's the definition of a pyramid scheme. How many lawsuits have been filed? It's dozens. The question is, what did you want out of it? You get to be the boss. I'm gonna lose my house. This is a time of seemed too good to be true. And it was. I did turn down the cruise. I love white people to death just being on a boat in the middle of nowhere. I'll see y'all when y'all get back. It is really, really interesting. And by the way, I just want to put out a disclaimer. Like, Mm -hmm. I know plenty of people that either are currently doing multi-level marketing. Or that um, are members of Lula Rich. Lula Row. No, I don't know anyone personally who's specifically in Lula Row. Same. And to be honest, I'm sad about that. (laughs) But I I do know people who have been, who have either sold for what they may call direct sale companies or been in an MLM or are currently. I don't like know anyone super well who currently is, but I have like acquaintances and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the truth is like one person in an organization like that or a company like that, just trying to like find a new way of making ends meet and stuff. I'm not trying to like dunk on mm-hmm. that situation. No, definitely I, so not. if anyone is listening and you do sell for these companies or anything like that, like please know that I'm not trying to sound like judgy or anything. And LuLaRoe was also a very or is, I guess it still exists, mm-hmm, it a very specific, like the documentary is about this company and not the dozens or even hundreds of others for a reason, I think, mm-hmm. because LuLaRoe had some especially um, interesting circumstances and some interesting 
figures behind the organization. Anyway, I just wanted to say that because I think it's entirely possible that somebody listening might be in an MLM. And I understand like, we all got to do what we got to do to try to make money. I mean, I don't think MLMs have a very high success rate of making money. So be careful out there if you're thinking about getting pulled into one. Yeah, we were talking about this last night after watching three episodes, like what would we do if we had a good friend of ours in an MLM? Because I don't really have like a close friend that is in an MLM. And I went down this rabbit hole last night of people who are currently in LuLaRoe. And candidly, I got emotional at seeing some of the posts because I I don't know, it just breaks my heart to see people like asking questions about like, hey, like here are three new outfits I got from LuLaRoe, like comment below, which one is your favorite? And then there'd be no, there no one would comment. And I don't, that to me is like, it just feels so lonely and like sad to put yourself out there like that to not have like a friend that's like, oh, you, you know, hey, girl, like you look amazing or something. I don't know, just a compliment or something. Someone who's clearly putting themselves out there and trying to make an effort to make money. So Lizzie and I were talking like, what would you do? Like, I want to support the friend and be like, you look great. I want to encourage you like this is a really, really hard business that you're in. Please don't spend a lot of money. To do it, you know, like, it's one of those things where you want to support people. Um, How would you support someone and encourage them and also caution them against being in an MLM? Yeah, I mean, my two pieces of advice for friends, and then we can actually talk about the documentary for a minute, which we've kind of skipped over. But my if I were like speaking to somebody that was like in an MLM, and by that, I mean, companies like Beauty Counter, Arbonne, Amway, Rodan and Fields, Rodan and Fields, Mary Kay, LuLaRoe. There's a ton of them. Um, and it's very easy to find out if something is one. Like it's very people have really compiled like what is and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But there's hundreds of them for all different things. Anyway, I would say two things. One, and this just goes in general, like my little two cents piece of advice. You really should never have to like fork over a bunch of money to start a job. A job pays you. You know, you you don't need to spend like thousands of dollars to mm-hmm. start working retail. I've worked retail. I got my first paycheck like two weeks in. I didn't spend a dime to work there, you know. Anyway, then the other piece is you don't own a business unless you can sell the name and goodwill of that business, not yeah. inventory, the actual business. So like for me, if I had like Beans Emporium Which- and it was dream which we talk about one day (laughs) like a pet store that has like pet supplies and pet food and stuff and i had like a building that has the logo and everybody in town loved beans emporium and it's like the go-to brand and we started getting our own like line of dog clothing and etc etc again the dream that's a business if i cleared out the entire inventory and just all that was left was the name of beans emporium and i was retiring and wanted to sell because this is the most popular name on the tip of everyone's tongue. And the name of just Beans Emporium has enough goodwill with customers that it has value. I'm not talking about physical inventory. That's what a business is. Mm. So you don't own a business unless you have something like that. Not, it doesn't matter how valuable it is. Maybe somebody wouldn't be interested in buying it. But like owning inventory and having customers that buy it from you is not a business. Mm. So don't get suckered into like, well, I should put up the money to start being a consultant because I'm starting my own business. You're not starting your own business. Not to sound harsh, but right. No, I think well, I think that's sort of like your your legal mind differentiating because a lot of times what we saw in the LuLaRoe documentary, what they what they sell you on is being a business owner. 
You know what I mean? Right, like that's but part all of you the, own is inventory. Exactly. And your connections but but, with customers. But I think they they frame it as you are going to own your own business. You get right. to make your own hours. You get to spend more time with your kids. The LuLaRoe documentary, it's only four episodes, which I would say actually is probably a good sign because sometimes you see a lot of these doc series on very salacious topics go on too long. They just drag it out because they want... They want to keep you watching. Mm-hmm. But this is only four episodes. It's on Amazon Prime. The founders of LuLaRoe do speak in it for in every episode, uh, which is fascinating. They say they got tricked into doing it. I don't – I think that they're – they just kind of seem pretty self-absorbed and would – you know, aren't going to shy away from some camera time and think that they can kind of swindle anybody is the impression that I get. The documentary does a really good job of framing why LuLaRoe found success in the time period that they did and how that coincides and correlates with girl boss culture, late stage capitalism. Like they talk about all that and how they framed it as like this women's empowerment company and why owning your own business, even though, as Lizzie pointed out, that's not really what's happening was very attractive to a certain demo of women, older millennials, Gen X. Like people that are in LuLaRoe are typically a little older than we are. LuLaRoe was like a legging and clothing company, but particularly their leggings were really popular. And the documentary, it's just really interesting. They kind of go through like the heyday of LuLaRoe Mm -hmm. into the dark side and products having issues and then like legal problems. And the last episode, they start going... in the middle of the last episode, we paused it to record this because we needed to record. Because we love y'all that much. <laughs> we paused our documentary just to check in. We did. Um, also, side note, and I would love to hear people's thoughts on this. We were watching the documentary and it's LuLaRoe really kicked off around like 2013. That's not when the company was first founded, but that's when they first like started bringing on a lot of people and started Mm -hmm. kind of becoming what it turned into and they were showing a lot of like fashions from 2013 Uh, and i i came to a conclusion that i had not really thought about before but i stand by it which is i think like the 2013 ish era which coincidentally was the year grace and i started dating is the worst fashion of our lifetimes do you think that 2013 describe some of the items that you're thinking of i'm thinking like just weirdly like colorful things that don't really go together, like peplum tops. I remember this outfit that I thought was so cute, like from around the time we started dating was like mint green jeans, like the colored jeans, mm-hmm. mint green denim with this like black and white weird pattern, like peplum tops. Peplum tops were very cool. And then neck like chunky like costume jewelry type necklaces. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. And then like the leggings. I mean, leggings are very popular, like athleisure. But leggings leggings were had like a moment. Not it's not like athleisure, like what you're thinking of today. No, it was like because it wasn't like shaping you. Like most athleisure sort of is has an element of shapewear. So if you're wearing like yoga pants, like Lululemon or something, not to be confused with LuLaRoe. Do you think they did that on purpose? Eh. Lululemon and LuLaRoe to have it be a bit... I doubt it. Just a happy accident, you think? Happy for LuLaRoe. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like happy for LuLaRoe that they could... Someone might Maybe. I mean, she said it was based on her kids' names, but Mm, anyway. Convenient. A Lululemon legging will kind of like be a little more structured and not padded, but just a thick material like Mm -hmm. around the butt. So you kind of have, it doesn't, you can't see everything through it. Whereas leggings are just like cling to the body and they don't 
really have like the no, shaping. They are, they are not forgiving. I used to wear. They're not forgiving. Yeah. In a different time. Yeah. So like the co- time in my the life. like chevron pattern leggings oh, and no. stuff like that. Vests, a lot of vests, high boots. Like not high boots. There's nothing wrong with those, by the way. But like I think now we we like a mix of like a short booty, like a high lace up boot. But it was like everything was like knee high. Oh, with the legging. Yeah. Like, everyone yeah. kind of looked like Han Solo. Exactly. I was thinking about that photo. Mm-hmm. Of, like, all the girls that dress like Han Solo. I'm trying to think what else was popular around that time. I'm just thinking of a lot of, like, bad patterns, which is kind of what LuLaRoe is. The hats. The Mumford and Sons hats. Oh, I yeah. I think that was the era. Yes. Yeah. For women, specifically. Mm-hmm. like wearing Which, these- interestingly, uh, at the Switchfoot slash Need to Breathe show, is still happening. Mm. People know. love those hats. Anyway, here here's the thing. I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone. No, I'm throwing shade on... those hats. Well, I'm not, I never did the hat thing, but. Okay. I had a major hat phase. I I remember. 2013-ish, like 2011 to 2015, let's say. I believe that that era of style was the worst style that I have lived through personally. Mm. I couldn't see it at the time, but now I'm like, God, everything was hideous. Hideous. It's hard for me to say that for myself because I wasn't dressing like myself yet. Right. So it's hard for like I don't really remember, gosh, mercifully, my brain has really blacked out a lot of outfits that I wore when I was presenting as femme. So I can't really recall, but I do remember those like I do remember like leggings and like skin tight stuff. And I think I kind of remember like peplum or uh like peasant type sleeves. I mean, peasants kind of back in, honestly. But just like, I don't don't think I'm using the right words. Like the type of like short sleeves that would have little bunches at the end or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Yeah, (laughs) me neither. It was a dark Anyway, let me know what you think. Because like, I grew up in the 90s. 90s style is very much back. Y2K, like turn of the century style is obviously back. And I think that's fun and cute. Like the butterfly clips. The nostalgia is fun. But yeah, I hope that like... 2013 style never comes back anyway i'm sure it will <laughs> because that's the no that's we the must resist lula Rowe is just biding their time with all these lawsuits <laughs> being like if we can just hold on it's like people with long babies enough. That yes they've been waiting they're like sell. eventually we will rise again <laughs> No, LuLaRoe is in a lot of legal trouble. And if by any chance you are affiliated with LuLaRoe or know someone who is, I, d- I would recommend checking out this documentary. I know that I've seen some stuff circulating on TikTok that LuLaRoe members are saying to not watch the documentary, that it's, you know, it's all bogus and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think that it never hurts to make yourself aware of as much information as possible, especially when you are working for a company, Mm -hmm. you know, just it it, it won't hurt you to check it out. And I think that there is a lot of compelling evidence for them being pyramid schemes. Well, yeah. (laughs) Also, just a side note, my other little Yoda piece of wisdom, if you ever are in an organization that tells you not to watch something... Mm-hmm. major red flag oh huge red that's flag. what scientology does too they yeah. were like forbidding everyone from watching going clear yeah i mean i think it's also like what uh with the mosaic episode of state of grace they said the same thing they told I mean, them not to watch it yeah on a, on a smaller level they were like don't they were like ignore the video or whatever yeah it's like 
why would you ever want to tell people not to watch something? I mean, it's one thing if maybe somebody made like a hate video about your friend, you could tell your friend, like, I promise you don't watch it. Like, it's just going to hurt your feelings. But like in something that's researched and presenting evidence, like there's no good reason to not want people to watch that. Even if it's like, okay, let's all watch it so we can have a conversation. Right. But like just telling people not to watch something is always sketchy. So I don't exactly know what inspired me to want to do this episode, but I guess just the fact that we've been in a very busy season of life. So I started a new job that's had me hitting the ground running. Grace is releasing new music very soon and doing a lot of that on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, now you have more of a team than you did around you when you released Preacher's Kid, but you're still very homegrown, which I think is great because that's why a lot of people, I think, um, were drawn to your music to begin with. So you have a lot on your plate to do. I'm kind of always juggling a million projects. Work is taking up a lot of my time, but of course I have the podcast and I have a bunch of other creative things that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to talk about creativity and how we um, harness it, how we harness it and how we get the creative juices flowing. And I think we have really different processes for this. Mm. So I just wanted to talk about it. Like when you and you need to this weekend. So when you need to like get a creative project done, what's your process? Like, do you have one? Or do you just let it happen? Well, for me, there's always a little bit of a radio happening in the back of my head for right for example right now we're recording this podcast and i'm very focused on recording the podcast and being present but i'm aware that if i put the mic you know when we're done recording and i walk over to the piano it's it doesn't take much to just kind of tune in to play some notes and hear kind of what words come to my head it, it is like just listening to a radio and then allowing my hands with whatever instrument I'm playing to just try and translate what I hear. So the creative process for me is just building enough time to be really focused on that, to really like get that radio up as loud as possible. And then once I have a vague sort of structure, once a song or a jingle comes more into view, I can hear it more clearly. Then I start splicing and dicing the lyrics a bit more. Like I'll come to you with a few different lyric ideas, but I don't, I don't think I've ever come to you with like a melody idea. Usually I come at you with a melody. I'm like, what about like, I'll just like start singing at you or something. And you'll be like, yeah, great. And I'll be like, I was thinking about this lyric instead of this lyric. Like usually it's just about you kind of help me with the placement of certain words or if that's the best way to express it. But the melody is kind of just always happening in the background. It's about building in time to express it and and get it recorded. Because unfortunately, it's a radio that uh, never repeats almost. I mean, if there is a song that starts repeating, then I know it's a good one. And so I, I try and write that down. But a lot of times there have been, you know, songs I think are really good that will just kind of come to me while I'm brushing my teeth or in the showers you know, walking a dog or something and walking a dog, any dog, not being just a dog. Um, <laughs> and and then I, you know, really need to record it in a voice note or in a video so I, I won't forget it because it, it might not come back. I have a question for you. Sure. Do you think that the more you kind of foster this and encourage it and take the time to listen mm-hmm. to the radio that's going on in your head and mm-hmm. and 
almost engaging with your own inner monologue that might be running and saying like, oh, that sounds good. How can I make this better? Let me pull out my phone and do a voice note to remember it. Do you think that all those little things that you do help that stream of consciousness of creativity that's kind of always lying get stronger? Yeah, totally. Because I I think some people might hear like, oh, well, you just Here's the thing. Grace honestly does have an uncanny, like, just ability to come up with little songs. And whether it's a jingle or whether it's a song that's going to end up on an album, you kind of do have – it's almost like a faucet that's just sort of (laughs) running. And if you stick a cup in front of it, it'll fill up or it may just sort of float away if you don't really pay attention to it. But I think that could be – for somebody that's like, where do I even start? I want to write a song, but I don't hear a radio in my head. Do you think that it's something you can develop by paying closer attention? Totally. I mean, I take a lot of inspiration from one of the greatest songwriters of all time, I think is Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching an interview with her once and she just said that she writes something every day, that every day she just writes something and, and it just keeps you sharp. It's like with it's like with any muscle, the more that you keep working it out, the it just becomes seamless kind of second nature. And so I think that I've been doing this. I, I mean, I have really early memories of my of staring at myself in the mirror in like kindergarten, and just being like, wow, like, it's so cool that I can hear songs in my head. Like, I guess everyone can do this. And then, you know, realizing in quite embarrassing fashion that that was not the case, because I would like sing songs at people and just kind of hum songs and have these visions for songs. And people would be like, cool, like, because they can't hear what's in my head. So it's like very, <laughs> so it's a strange thing to do. And I'd be like, Dad? I'd be like singing these like made up <laughs> songs. It's very weird. You know, that quote that's like, I have I feel dumb that I don't know where this is from, but it's like, and the people who were dancing were thought to be mad by those who could not hear the music. Yeah, sure. It's like that. Something like that. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That's a poetic way of, of, of putting it. So I do think that if you are a songwriter, I mean, I can only speak to songwriting. I think you, you can speak about creative writing next. But for me, for songwriting, I strongly advise for you to build into your schedule every day I mean, like 15 to 20 minutes just to start 15 to 20 minutes of just being with your instrument or being with yourself if you are just a vocalist and just trying to write something and it really will then come second nature like I for me the the cool thing is the cool or sometimes bad thing is that my brain works as like a soundtrack to my life now. I was going through a really difficult thing and I was heading to a a writing session with a friend of mine. And on the drive there, I wrote a whole song about what I was doing. And so when I showed up to the session, I was like, I'm so sorry. I know that we were supposed to write something together, but can we please just get this out? I have this thing in my brain because my brain, you know, as I think a coping mechanism in some ways just works as like the soundtrack of like, you have to you're going through this thing, so let's express this thing because it'll make you feel better. And I think that you can get to that point. Again, I don't think I'm and I'm not I'm not saying I'm like a Taylor Swift level songwriter. I'm just saying that songwriting is something that is a part of my everyday. That and that's available to you as well. I truly believe just putting in that 15 to 20 minutes of normalizing making your own soundtrack. Yeah. And it can be about like about just random shit just like whatever happened in your day and listening to artists that you would like to emulate i think yeah well and i i have heard this advice many times i'm not sure who to attribute it to because i've heard it so many places but i think it's really true which is the first step to being good at something is being really bad at something yeah like you have to, i mean yes some people are prodigies and whatever but for the most part everybody that starts a, whether it's a hobby even a new career path or whatever, 
you have to go through the period of not being good at it. Because mm-hmm. if you don't go through the, that period, then you'll never get to the good part because yeah. you won't have even started. Talk to me about how you harness all your ideas for creative writing and also I think for maintaining your blog. Yeah, so I feel like I have a very expansive definition of creativity for myself. So I'm usually the one that comes up with the ideas for the podcast. Well, to some extent, I don't want to take too much credit. Yeah, but you definitely organize the podcast. I'm more of like the producer of the podcast episodes. And I'm the engineer. Yes, exactly. So if you're impressed by this sound quality, (laughs) you shouldn't be. (laughs) But anyway, go on. Yeah, so I have a lot of different creative outlets in my life. I mean, I would even consider cooking and homemaking to be a creative outlet because I'm always coming up with new ideas, both in terms of what I'm making for us to feed us, but also just around the house and rearranging things and just coming up with like new systems and Homemaking is very creative. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, one of my biggest creative outlets. And then I also do a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. I try to do it every day, although I don't know if I can say that lately with my new job, but I'm still easing into the new routine. I love being creative in many different ways. And so this isn't really about any one particular type of creativity. It's more just about the process of getting myself in the right headspace and making things happen. So because my job is very different than a lot of what I do like for myself, I have a really different approach to like what I do to make a living versus my many, many hobbies and things that I have going on. And when I'm getting work done, I don't like to give myself too much time to do things. I kind of like to attack tasks that I need to happen. So I have um, a little, it's like a tomato timer, but it's a strawberry because I just think it's cute. So if you've never seen one of these, it's like a kitchen timer where you like twist the top to the right number and then it's like clicking down Mm. the numbers. I use that whenever I'm working on something that I don't really consider creative, that I consider like a task that I need to do. And so I'll say like, all right, you have 25 minutes to do this task, do it. And then like, I'll hit the timer, get it done, check it off. Like I'm very methodical. When I'm working on a project creatively or when I'm just trying to get the creative juices flowing for whatever I might be doing, I like to kind of romance myself and romance the afternoon or whatever it is. So like I'll pour some champagne, I will. I don't always like drink alcohol with creativity, but honestly, it can help me if I'm kind I of. I like my creativity with a side of alcohol. No, but like it can. I know what you mean. It can honestly help. That's something I've kind of wrestled with because I'm like, is this bad that like I love to drink wine? Like if I'm writing, and I'm like, no, because I kind of need. I don't know. I've made peace with it. I definitely don't always drink just because I'm writing. <laughs> um, I do find that that can help break through if I'm kind of like stuck and just need to like literally get things flowing get it pun get it flowing get it no i'm just saying it's like a little pun like wine flowing yeah the juices are flowing yeah no that was good that was great all right well (laughs) comedy is not one of my creative fields you should have seen the way lizzie just looked over you're like get it (laughs) yeah but more than just that i like i'll create a really beautiful space for myself like i do not like to try to be creative in a cluttered space. I like to have a candle. I like to have maybe some nature ambiance sounds. I don't really like to listen to music. I just find that it ends up distracting me. But sometimes I'll listen to like just instrumental music. For the most part, I like to create a mood of whatever I'm doing. So if I know like, okay, after I'm done 
cleaning up the kitchen, I'm going to take an hour to myself to write or work on whatever I'm working on. I have different specific playlists that are the mood of like the project that I'm working on. So if I'm working on a project that's kind of like moody and dark, I'll have a playlist of songs that go with that. And in when I'm washing the dishes, cleaning the kitchen, getting ready to go move into this creative space, I'll listen to the playlist Mm. before I go do that thing to kind of like get in the headspace. If I have like flowers in the house, I'll move the flowers over. I'll create a beautiful little vignette of where I'm working. And to me, that's very important. The it's kind of like I'm drawing out this other side of myself. Um, and I, I definitely can't switch between more mundane tasks and creativity. Like I'll get whiplash. I have to ease into it and then just let it flow. And with anything, whether it's a task for work or whether it's creativity or whatever it may be, there's always the time when you're like, it's just not happening. Like it's not working today. But once you really do get rolling, which you kind of can, in my experience, if you give it enough time, then it just keeps rolling. So that's the nice thing. And I think you won't really know what type of a day it's going to be until you set yourself up for success. Yes. You know, like it's my advice, I think, for really harnessing your creative power is to bet on yourself. You just never know when it's going to strike and to set yourself up, assuming that it will and that lightning is going to hit. And if that isn't the case, then not being so hard on yourself also. You know, you can't write the great American novel every single time you sit down. But every single time you sit down, you are getting yourself closer to those breakthrough moments. You're, You're making an invitation for those breakthrough moments of writing something or creating something truly incredible and singular and unique to you. And I think the best part about creating anything is the catharsis of like, you're you're really like releasing something from within yourself. It's so beautiful. It's like, guys, it's, it's like art. <laughs> it's like why art is amazing. It's like a piece of ourselves. <laughs> and I really believe that. I'm going to go on the record. My last thought on this is just to remind you and remind myself that good things really do take time. Yeah, and that art is hard. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm feeling silly. I know. No, it's okay. Well, I hope silly. this was helpful. I'm yeah. sure I feel like we have so many creative house guests and I know that it can be difficult to build in time for your projects, but again, believe in yourself, bet on yourself, create those opportunities for the magic within you to manifest itself in some sort of a tangible, long-lasting form, because the world will be better for it. It doesn't take that long, just a few minutes every day. Yeah. Odds up. Good advice. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, We should have a podcast. (laughs) We should... (laughs) That's the funniest thing about having a podcast is literally just having a podcast is the funniest part about it. We do. Okay, we're going to go finish the Lula Rich documentary. It's been wonderful to catch up with y'all. I hope you have a great day or evening wherever you are. Hey, and wherever you are, gay rights. I want you to feel comfortable to say that. Gay rights. Just like Switchfoot. Yep. Okay. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. Bye. My love for you is gold.